You've heard me talk about my preferred fish oil brand, Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions. Well, I'm happy to report that they also offer a great line of premium quality, clinically relevant, professional-grade products which help support optimal immune function, including quercetin, NAC, Viracon, and Allerc. Quercetin supports healthy sinus and respiratory function. NAC delivers antioxidant support. Viracon is a unique herbal formula for comprehensive immune system support. And Aller-C provides respiratory histamine and sinus support. I'm so impressed with these products that I took them with me on my recent trip to Iceland. For more information and to order, go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co. Vital Nutrients products are formulated by healthcare professionals utilizing peer-reviewed research, bioavailable and bioactive ingredients in therapeutic doses. I take them and use them in my practice. Just go to vitalnutrients.co and check them out. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I think you'll find this a fascinating podcast because it's on the subject of vitamin D. Uh, paraphrasing uh, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, vitamin D don't get no respect these days uh, because in light of a recent study, uh, the vital study, uh, a lot of negative publicity was generated. Uh, the vital study uh, was in the New England Journal of Medicine, originally intended to assess the effects of fish oil and vitamin D on cancer and heart disease, but they did a, uh, a uh, subsidiary analysis uh, for the effects of vitamin D on osteoporosis, and it drew a blank. It did not show in this particular study uh, a robust beneficial effect. Yet, uh, on the slim basis of this evidence alone, uh, vitamin D's impact on osteoporosis, uh, they drew some pretty drastic conclusions. Uh, the, the results of the vital study are being leveraged to undermine public confidence in vitamin D supplementation and even to put the kibosh on vitamin D testing. Uh, accompanying the uh, the original article in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, there was an editorial, which is highly unusual. Uh, they opined, quote, vital and this ancillary study show that vitamin supplements do not have important health benefits in the general population of older adults. Thus, there is no justification for measuring vitamin D in the general populace <laughs> or treating vitamin D to a target serum level. And worse yet, the editorial proclaims and this is astonishing, and I'm quoting, people should stop taking vitamin D supplements to prevent major diseases or extend life. And so today we've invited uh, uh, one of the world's experts on the subject of vitamin D. Uh, he's published uh, uh, or co-authored uh, over 60 papers uh, on subjects related to vitamin D and nutrition in general. Uh, his background is that he's a Ph.D. in physics at UCA at UC Berkeley, and uh, among his accomplishments, uh, in, he published a landmark paper in 1997 linking diet to Alzheimer's disease. Well, that uh, certainly been borne out uh, by years and years of subsequent research and you know more and more uh, critical papers. But he's also focused on the role that uh, vitamin D might play, not just on osteoporosis, because that's what we're taught in medical school is vitamin D was good for your bones, but uh, it's other 
benefits. It's benefits for a wide range of disorders. So uh, without further ado, here's uh, Dr. William Grant. It's a pleasure having you on the program. It's really privileged to uh, uh, share with you on this auspicious day because today is the day uh, when one of your landmark papers has been published, comparing the evidence from observational studies and randomized controlled trials for non-skeletal health effects of vitamin D. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in vitamin D research and tell us about the latest paper. Okay. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, My pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I got involved with vitamin D starting in 1999 when the Institute, uh, National Cancer Institute published the maps of cancer mortality rate uh, by county in the United States. And um, it's, um, it was interesting that in the northeast United States, cancer rates are very high, and in the southwest, they're very low. And um, uh, I was referred to the work by Cedric and Frank Garland, who in 1980 published a paper saying that uh, sunlight, um, uh, higher sunlight in the southwest, lower in the northeast, seemed to be uh, correlated uh, uh, with the risk of colon cancer. And because the most important benefit of sunlight exposure was vitamin D production, vitamin D must reduce the risk of cancer. Um, and that was 1980, and still in 1999, there was no traction. Well, I looked at these maps, and um, I, wor I was working for NASA at the time as an atmospheric scientist. So I got the NASA satellite image uh, for uh, surface solar UVB doses for the United States. And, and In effect, it would be caused, called these days, it would be called a, like a heat map for, for vitamin D exposure. I mean, it's, now it's like a, a familiar uh, uh, graphing technique to, to spot trends. Okay. 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 And uh, so I, I, I compared that with the cancer maps in, in what are called ecological studies, geographical ecological studies. And I showed that for about 13 types of cancer, there's a strong inverse correlation between solar UVB and uh, cancer mortality rates. Uh, I published that in the journal Cancer in 2002, and it then spawned a, a, a lot of research in universities, although when it was first published, I had not included other risk-modifying factors, and I got criticized for that. Uh, for example, I left off the, the states along the border with Mexico because they had high rates of uh, stomach cancer. I later learned it was because of his Mexican-Americans there who had a lot of H. pylori infection and had a lot of stomach cancer. Anyway, I, I was able to add a lot of the confounding factors like alcohol, smoking, and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And it took a submission to 10 journals before it was accepted. See, the mainstream journals do not like vitamin D. The mainstream journals work for Big Pharma. Right. And Big Pharma sees vitamin D as competition for profit and income. And so um, they kept saying, oh, we, we just don't don't want to publish it. Finally got published as a, a conference proceedings for a conference held in Germany and published in a, in a Greek journal. And now it has a lot of citations, but, but then it was uh, pretty much ignored. So that, that was how I got involved and then um, uh, kept going from there. Right. So uh, in this uh, in the latest article, which is just uh, published, uh, and by the way, let's mention also that uh, uh, your current position is director of the Sunlight Nutrition and Health Research Center, uh, and the website for them is sunarc.org, and you can learn more about right. uh, your research and can learn more about 
the benefits of vitamin D there. Um, and but so it seems like there's such an astonishing array of conditions for which vitamin D might have a critical impact. Uh, and you cite in your article, and it's a long list, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, autoimmune diseases, cancers, cardiovascular disease, COVID-19, major depressive disorder, type 2 diabetes, arterial hypertension, all-cause mortality, which I guess is that's the name of the game, is whether you're going to live or die, respiratory tract infections, and pregnancy outcomes. So how is it that, that vitamin D, which we were taught in medical school, you know, uh, that, that was the dogma then was, you know, it was the bone vitamin. If you don't have enough, you get rickets. How is it that vitamin D has such a, uh, a plethora of, of benefits? Well, uh, it, um, it actually, okay, there's the vitamin D that you take uh, in supplements or, or make in the sun. That's then converted in the liver to 25-hydroxyvitamin D, which then circulates around. And then any organ or any cell that all of a sudden needs the, the effects of vitamin D can convert 25-hydroxyvitamin uh, D to 125-dihydroxyvitamin D, or calcitriol, which is a hormonal version of vitamin D, which can go to vitamin D receptors in almost every cell in the body, and there it can affect gene expression, upregulating some and downregulating others. So uh, uh, they've shown that uh, thousands, thousands of genes can be regulated by, by vitamin D. So it's primarily through this gene regulation. Uh, it's a hormone just like estrogen and progesterone, testosterone, etc. And and that's often overlooked and when they try to say, well, vitamin D is you know, like vitamin C or vitamin E, which haven't shown many benefits, but no, it's really a hormone. Indeed. And, and so there, there seem to be vitamin D receptors uh, throughout the body. It is ubiquitous. Uh, and so, you know, let, let's, you know, tackle some of the uh, major impacts that it has, you know, system by system. And, and let's start with uh, the brain. Uh you wrote a pioneering paper in, in 1997 that linked diet to risk of Alzheimer's disease. Now that's uh, you know well accepted. Uh, but mm -hmm. what role does vitamin D play? Well, one of the main roles of vitamin D is to reduce inflammation. It, it affects the production of pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines. Uh, so by reduce, if you raise vitamin D levels, you're going to reduce the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines and that's going to reduce inflammation and, and oxidative stress. And uh, almost all the major diseases are, are linked to, to inflammation. So that's, that's uh, one of the primary things. Um, I think they've also found that for Alzheimer's disease, it can help uh, clear the, um, uh, the plaque that forms in, in the brain. Uh, it also, vitamin D also reduces uh, the risk of hypertension and high, I think hypertension is involved in dementia and, and Alzheimer's. So it's just uh, a number of uh, factors. Okay, and then there's uh, autoimmune diseases. And uh, lately it's become trendy for rheumatologists to measure vitamin D because of recognition that uh, vitamin D uh, may play a role in conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, and so on. Uh, what's up with that? What's going on there? Um. Well, I think inflammation. I'm not really an expert on that. I'm, a, I'm an expert on cancer, though, and mm -hmm. I can tell you what's happening there. Okay, in cancer, the uh, first of all, uh, vitamin D sort of interrogates all the cells in the body and asks, does this cell really belong in the organ it is? 
And if so, it will let it proliferate and, and differentiate and so on. But if it doesn't belong there, it'll help the um, cell commit suicide or apoptosis. Um, then if you, uh, now if a tumor starts growing, uh, if as long as it stays in that where it is, that's okay. But if it's, it's, if it starts growing too fast, which, which requires, uh, the formation of blood cells, uh, blood vessels around the tumor, uh, then it can grow faster and vitamin D can reduce the risk of, of, uh, reduce the formation of these blood, blood vessels. But more importantly, uh, cancer only kills if it gets, if it can metastasize into the body. And vitamin D reduces the risk of metastasis as well. So it turns out that since there are many uh, fact, risk factors for cancer, smoking, toxins, uh, inflammation, et cetera, et cetera, vitamin D is only one of the players in the field. And it turns out that in the vital study and other studies, they find it's, it's hard to show that, that giving a little bit of vitamin D supplementation reduces the risk of cancer formation. But even vital showed that the 2,000 IU per day they were giving to people who had above average vitamin D levels reduce the risk of cancer mortality rate. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, you got to look carefully at, 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 at the studies and and, um, and understand the mechanisms to try to figure out these, what's happening. Yeah, and, and it takes uh, someone like you who's an expert on studies uh, to do a deep dive and actually look at the data, but sometimes they draw the conclusion that there was no, quote, statistically significant benefit, uh, and yet uh, impressive trends are sometimes seen towards benefit it's just that they don't reach uh, whatever ninety-five percent uh, confidence uh, levels, right? Well, what, the, the, also, New England Journal of Medicine only requ- uh, allows one conclusion from the study in the abstract, mm-hmm. and they totally ignore the secondary findings, which show some benefits for those with low BMI and almost a significant benefit for Black Black Americans. But then the the spokespeople for the vital study in the, all the press releases also ignored the secondary findings. Now, there was, the Vital did find recently that um, they, they did find a beneficial reduction of autoimmune disease. Uh, again, I don't know the details, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, it was a, a significant finding. Has that been published yet? Because it, uh, I haven't oh, yes. heard that. Oh, okay. Yes, but Han, it, it, H-A-H-N, was the author. Yeah, and it didn't get uh, as much ballyhoo as this study in the New England Journal of Medicine, which generated well, uh, all kinds of headlines in the in the in the conventional press, like these study right. finds. Well, here, here, let me just read some of these. Study finds another condition that vitamin D pills do not help. Study finds vitamin D supplements do not reduce risk of broken bones. Uh, Stop taking vitamin D already! Shouts Forbes magazine. You know, and on and on and on. Well, there's a, there's a mass media blockade on vitamin D uh, instituted by the FDA and accentuated on, on, during the COVID uh, era. I published a paper on, on April 2nd, 2020, suggesting that vitamin D would reduce the risk of uh, COVID, uh, SARS infection and COVID uh, incidence, uh, mortality, and so on. And I've got over 1,800 citations in scholar.google.com. But that's not, you don't see that anywhere in the press because the, the, Big Pharma wants to sell vaccines, and they don't want you to think that there's a simple way to prevent or treat COVID. Well, okay, so uh, what is often cited 
in the criticisms of vitamin D is that uh, uh, there are observational studies, studies which show that people who are replete with vitamin D uh, seem to do better. But that's not enough for science. They have to demonstrate that giving vitamin D, and that's a different story. They may say, they say sometimes that, okay, well, people who have low vitamin D, maybe they're impoverished, maybe they, uh, you know, the, they're in ill health anyway, maybe inflammation uh, you know, saps their, their vitamin D level, or perhaps they're obese. And we know that obesity uh, tends to lower vitamin D levels. And there even are racial uh, 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 differences in vitamin D levels. So it may be that uh, African Americans have low vitamin D levels, but, you know, that, that doesn't ex- explain uh, that vitamin D is beneficial. Okay, so what we showed in this latest paper was that most of the RCTs on vitamin D have been poorly designed, conducted, and analyzed. The problem is, uh, like vital, enrolled people with an average 25-hydroxyvitamin D of 31 nanograms per milliliter, which is relatively high. It's a, maybe, it's high. Then they gave a very low dose, 2,000 IU so, so, per day. So, so let me just summarize. What you're just saying is that they started with people who had pretty good levels of vitamin D anyway, right? So maybe right. giving vitamin D to people who have pretty good levels is not going to show a, such a dramatic difference. Is, is, that, is that what you're saying? Right. That, okay. That's one thing, yes. And, and, and it's probably the main thing. But the second thing is uh, Michael Hollick showed uh, decades ago that a person can make between ten and 25,000 international units of vitamin D per day in, in, in this, this simulated sunlight. Mm-hmm. Well, 2,000 IDU is only 20% or 10 to 20% of what you can make in a day. Mm-hmm. And our, 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 our ancient ancestors were out in the sun all the time, and so they were making much more vitamin D than we are now. But the third thing is, um, when they do the analysis of the results, they generally just look at uh, the results in terms of intention to treat. In other words, they have the, the vitamin D supplementation group and the placebo group. Mm-hmm. And they look at the results for all of the, uh, each arm separately. Well, everybody has a different response to vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts It's like a one-size-fits-all. In other words, they, to, to right. make, I mean, for scientific studies, it's in a way they have, the way they have to design it. That's what they do with medications. They give, you know, maybe maybe two or three levels at most, but they just, it, it's everyone gets the same thing. And you're saying that people need tailored vitamin D dosing. Well, in a drug trial, there's no other source of the, of the agent in mm-hmm. the RC in vitamin D. You've got sunlight, diet, supplements. Yes. So, uh, plus genetics. So, so um, there was a, 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 a study from Tufts University called D2D. It was for, D2D. It was for looking at going from prediabetes to diabetes. Mm-hmm. They gave them 4,000 IU per day. And when they looked at uh, the placebo versus vitamin D group, there was no statistical significance between those uh, outcome uh, in terms of going to diabetes. But when they finally looked at the vitamin D levels for those in the treatment arm, they found that as they rose above um, uh, 30 nanograms per milliliter, um, that for every 10 nanograms, um, 10 nanograms, they got 25% reduction in, in progression to diabetes. Hmm. And all the way up to over 100, um, uh, I think, uh, well, 50 or 60 nanograms per milliliter. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was published as a secondary finding, but they considered that an observational study rather than a, a, a result of a clinical trial. So it doesn't get much play. 
And, and just for reference, how many Americans you know have those levels? You know, 30, 40, 50, 60, you know, people who are, you know, just the unwashed multitude who, I don't know, maybe they're not taking any vitamin D or perhaps they're taking a paltry amount in a, in a centrum or something. I mean, how likely is it that well, their vitamin D is going to be that high? Well, according to a study of 2015 using Quest diagnostic uh, data from several million people, about a third of the population has above 30 nanograms per milliliter. Only one about third. About a third has below. A third has below 20, and you've got um, uh, a little less than a third in between 20 and 30. And so, of course, in winter, uh, the levels go down quite a bit uh, by 60 by by 30 or 40 percent. And mortality rate goes up by about twenty five percent. So overall mortality rate. So what we're saying is that uh, there's a vast number of Americans who have less than twenty is considered deficiency. It's frank deficiency. Right. Uh, you, right. Up, up around you know twenty to thirty is maybe insufficiency. In other words, not adequate, right. but not frank deficiency. And a, a very small fraction of Americans have vitamin D's above 40, 50, or even sixty. Um, right. So the other thing that, that lately they've launched is a campaign against sunlight, uh, because sunlight <laughs> being a source of vitamin D, that vitamin D, I'm sorry, uh, sunlight has been uh, now uh, classified as a, a carcinogen by, I guess it's it's the World Health Organization. Am I correct in right. saying that? Right. Wow. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. stay out of the sun because, you know, just like uh, it's like cigarette smoking. You know, you got to avoid it. On the other hand, a study from from um, Sweden uh, it was actually a melanoma study, but but an enterprising uh, scientist looked at the data and found that those the the one third that had the greatest sun exposure had a thirty percent lower mortality rate than the lower third uh, that uh, more more or less avoided sun, and said that sun avoidance was about gave about the same magnitude of risk of death as cigarette smoking. Well, there you go. So it kind of sounds like a two-edged sword. Okay, good point at which to pause because uh, we're talking about uh, vitamin D and we're pushing back against uh, some alarmist headlines which suggest that we should stop taking vitamin D. It's a waste of money and waste of time. And in fact, even testing for vitamin D is kind of a waste of time. I'm sure the insurance companies would love that because that's part of their cost containment strategy. Fewer people will be asking for vitamin D tests and you know, can save some bucks. Uh, our guest is uh, one of the world's experts on uh, vitamin D, and especially its non-skeletal health effects. In other words, pervasive effects that go beyond uh, building strong bones, but uh, extending to things like uh, brain, autoimmune disease, cancer, cardiovascular disease, uh, mood disorders, uh, and uh, immunity for COVID and respiratory tract infections and pregnancy, and of course, uh, all-cause mortality. We'll do a little deeper dive on some of those subjects and more in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.